Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Well, church, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm excited. 56 people in the journey study. That's pretty exciting. You can get excited at church. It's okay. Pastor Andy's gone. I won't tell him. It'll be our little secret. Okay, it's fine. Well, a lot of good things going on here. A lot of things to be excited about. I get to continue our series called Faves. This is where we preach um, our favorite Bible verses or passages, um, not like our favorite. We didn't take an audience poll. It's the individual members of the teaching team sharing you some things that God has done in our life. And I would love to preach to you today from a verse that was like, hey, this is this joyous, awesome, wonderful time in my life. But actually today, I'm going to speak to you about a passage of scripture that God used to pull me out of the darkness. Today, we're going to be talking about depression and sadness. And you guys are aware between the last two years with COVID and everything going else on in our society, depression has skyrocketed, but it is not in any way, shape, or form a new thing. In fact, the people of God in Scripture often knew what it was like to experience times of darkness, times of sadness. And you do too. When we talk about a category like depression, uh, we come from different places. Uh, some of you are kind of like Eeyore. Got a picture here on the screen. Anybody know Adventures of Winnie the Pooh? So uh, Eeyore, he um, walks around and he is just always sad, always miserable. Everything is always awful. Next up, we have some of you are like Winnie the Pooh. Uh, like Winnie the Pooh, um, you are in sometimes in a good place, sometimes in a bad place. Um, it just depends on what's going on. You know, Christopher Robin's around and the honey's overflowing the cup. Everything is good, but if things don't work out the way you want it to, all of a sudden you are sad and down. But then some of you are like Tigger. You're like this, lot, this little tiger of energy that's bouncing around from place to place, and you can't possibly understand uh, why people are so sad. You, you just don't understand why anybody could be depressed when the world's this awesome and you're bouncing around and having a good time. No matter where you're at, this message is for you. Because of, for those of you who struggle with depression and sadness, this is going to be what you need to hear. Or maybe you know somebody who's going through this. But for those of you that are like Tigger, bouncing around, wondering what's wrong with everyone else, well, there's a couple things. Number one, this is going to help you understand people who are going through a dark time better. In fact, you may now be able to minister to people after today in a way you couldn't before. But what I've also seen in my life is for those of you who haven't struggled with depression, when you are okay, that is the best time to get the tools and to develop the kind of spiritual foundation for when those dark times do come. Because no matter who you are, most of us at some point face that thing in life we never ever could have anticipated. Well, I was in fifth grade when I began to struggle with depression. I was the nerdy kid at school. I had glasses, braces. Um, I wasn't really good at athletics or anything like that. I was a nerd before it was cool. And I remember um, I was the kid that was bullied, got made fun of, and I remember in fifth grade sinking into a deep, dark depression. And I kid you not, this isn't an exaggeration, from fifth grade till 10th grade, I started to think about taking my own life every single day. 
I remember when everybody was in a, asleep, I'd go into the kitchen and look at the knives. If we were up on, if we were, I remember being in malls and stuff like that, anywhere where there was a floor I could potentially jump from, I, I remember just thinking about taking my own life constantly for five whole years. And the worst part about it was, I didn't tell a single person. I didn't tell my teachers. I didn't tell my brothers, my sisters. I didn't tell my parents. I went through it alone. But then at 16 years old, I started going to driver's ed. And if you weren't already depressed, welcome to driver's ed, right? Like, that'll do you in. So halfway through driver's ed, somebody invited me to church. And I thought, what could be worse than driver's ed? And so I went to church. Fast forward six months later, uh, at the church I attended, we had these things called altars, these places where you could pray. And I went down to an altar, and I gave my life to Christ. And I, I told Jesus, forgive my sins. I want to follow you. And it wasn't that I had this deep theological understanding of who Jesus was. I was just looking to, I was drowning and needed a life preserver. But when I made a decision to follow Jesus, I gotta tell you, it was like the depression went away in like an instant. Having his love wash over me, having his forgiveness wash over me, the depression went away, and that's the story that many of you have heard me tell before. And in that moment, I really thought Jesus had cured my depression for the rest of my life. And I was dead wrong. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning there, I, I want to kind of help you understand what has happened in 1 Kings up to this point with a guy named Elijah, who was a prophet of the Lord. So Elijah, we first read about him in Elijah chapter 17, or sorry, in 1 Kings. Uh, it says Elijah on the screen. It's actually in 1 Kings 17.1. Here's what it says. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain the next few years except at my word. Here's what's going on. The kingdom of Israel had uh, Ahab as the king and Jezebel as the queen. Right before chapter 17, it says that Ahab and Jezebel were literally the most evil king and queen that Israel had ever had. Now you have to understand that Israel had only had bad kings. They were all awful. So to say that these were the worst ever was a pretty big deal. They led the nation in idolatry. Instead of worshiping the one true God, uh, they worshiped Baal and his prophets. And, and they led the nation in sexual immorality. They led the nation in injustice against the poor, the oppressed, the foreigners, the widows. They took advantage of everyone. They even practiced child sacrifice. It was a horrible thing. It was so bad, in fact, that I, if you tried to get a Hollywood producer to make a, a secular Hollywood producer to make a movie about their reign, it would be so inappropriate. I doubt they would even do it. And so Elijah comes face to face with them, this defenseless prophet, and says to Ahab and Jezebel, it's not going to rain. There are going to be, there, it's going to be years of drought and famine because you are not following the Lord. And you would think that Ahab and Jezebel, that, you know, their hearts would break. They would come to a place of repentance. But instead, Jezebel says, you know what? I am going to start killing all the Lord's prophets. If God wants to come at me, that's fine. I will kill his people. And so Jezebel starts killing all of the Lord's prophets. Elijah actually has to flee the country. And there are three years of famine and things get really, really bad in Israel. 
Elijah finally shows back up from a foreign country and, and meets with Ahab and says, let's decide which God is real. Tomorrow, let's have a contest between your prophets of Baal and me. Now, there were 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah shows up at this place called Mount Carmel, and they have what is, what is kind of like a battle royale. This is like a pro wrestling match for the gods, okay? Elijah says, prophets of Baal, I'll let you go first. Set up a sacrifice and have your God call fire down from the heavens to ignite the sacrifice. And so they set up the sacrifice, the altar, and the prophets of Baal begin to pray, but nothing happens. So they begin to cut themselves and slash themselves and whip themselves into fervor. 450 people praying passionately for hour and hour on end. And it, this story is in 1 Kings 18. And if you like smack talk, man, Elijah is your boy. He starts like, he says, hey, maybe your God fell asleep. And in the Hebrew, he actually says, maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. Give him a minute. So after hours and hours, Elijah says, okay, let's see how our God, Yahweh, the one true God does. He says, go ahead, make a sacrifice. So they get his sacrifice ready. He says, dig a trench around it. Nobody knows what's going on. He says, go ahead and pour water on the sacrifice. If you ever tried to make a campfire when the wood is wet, imagine somebody actually pouring a jar of water on it. He doesn't do one jar of water. He does 12. He pours so much water, that trench fills up with water. And then if you look in your scripture, Elijah literally prays for two sentences. And then fire comes down, ignites the sacrifice. It's so hot, it literally licks the water up in the trench and the people bow down. They get off the fence and they decide that they're gonna worship the one true God. And Elijah says, now go ahead and kill those 450 prophets of Baal. And it sounds violent and awful, but you have to remember these guys are not moral blank slates. These are people who led the nation in sexual immorality, idolatry, and even child sacrifice. These are bad dudes, murderers by our standards. And so after that, Elijah uh, tells Ahab, now today it's going to rain. Ahab goes and he relaxes, he chills and he eats. Elijah goes back up on Mount Carmel and begins to freak out. You see, he's looking for rain and there's none. It actually says he gets down and puts his head between his knees. I demonstrate for you today, but that would get awkward for both of us. But he sits there and he sends his servant to go look for rain. He literally can't see rain, so he sends his servant, and it takes seven times before there's a little cloud. And Elijah goes to Ahab, and he says, okay, it's going to rain now. So Ahab gets in his, uh, in his chariot and goes to Jezreel, the capital of Israel. It's about 17 miles away. Elijah is so excited, he runs the 17 miles, beats the chariot, okay, he literally beats a chariot. I mean, come on, this guy's got game. It's like a, more than a half marathon. He beats the chariot, and why does he run to the capital? I think he runs to the capital because he thinks either Ahab and Jezebel are finally going to see the error of their ways and repent and start following God, or maybe he thinks they're going to be disposed. He runs to the capital assuming that God has won the victory, that his days of famine, his days of hardship are over, and we pick up in 1 Kings 19. Elijah assumes that he's on the mountaintop and he's about ready to go to the valley. Let's read 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18 together. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, by this time tomorrow, if I do not make your life like one of them. Right here, Elijah expects victory. Instead, he gets a death note. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. 
while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, or that can also be translated as desert. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once the angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, Listen to the complaint in his voice. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He uses the same complaint again. Listen to this. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So what does this have to do with us? One of the things I want you to walk away with today and understand is that the followers of God deal with depression. One definition of depression is an emotional state characterized by an exaggerated feeling of sadness or sadness and hopelessness. You see, Elijah in our text thought he was going to the greatest victory of his life. Jehab, Je, uh, sorry, Ahab and Jezebel, also known as uh, Hezekiah, apparently, um, he goes to see them deposed, and he gets a death threat. He runs into the wilderness, dismisses his servant. He's not giving them a vacation. He's saying, I don't need you anymore. Go find something else to do. He hides under a, a broom bush. I have a picture of a broom bush in a desert. Uh, um, and if you were to look at it, it looks like this tiny little twig. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a place you go to find rest or shade or to even hide. It is a place you go to die. In fact, Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You see, it's important to understand that even when you're following God, sometimes you can experience depression. After my conversion, I assumed that I had been cured of depression. And I, I, I graduated from high school. I led a Bible study during that time. It was an exciting time in my life. I went to college to study to be a pastor. That was amazing. And then uh, I went off to uh, school and then later grad school. And I had some sad days, but never anything like when I was a teenager. 
And then I hit into my first and second years in ministry, and the depression came back stronger than ever. I started thinking about killing myself every single day, and I was a pastor. I was a youth pastor at a church in Indiana, and I'm going through the motions. I'm going to work every day. I'm preaching the sermons. I'm talking about how we can have hope in Christ no matter what comes our way, and I can't feel it myself. And I felt like such a hypocrite. I'd have teens in my office, and they'd be sitting there telling me that they were thinking of hurting themselves, and I'd say all the right words, all the right things. I'd tell them that their life has meaning and purpose and not to give up, and then they would leave. And, and as soon as they left my office, I would think, that's true for them, but it's not for me. And as a pastor working at a church, I'm sitting there in my office with my, you know, ordination certificate on the wall, my name on the website, reading my Bible, praying, doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do, doing the thing that God had called me to do, and I wanted to kill myself. Here's the sermon within the sermon today. If you are in that place, if you are online or in the room today, and you are thinking about ending your own life, look in this passage how Elijah assumes that God is the only one who has the right to take his life. As hard as it is to hear, I would encourage you today to not give up. God is not done with you. You can overcome depression, but in order to do that, you have to understand some of the root causes. There's a book in my office that has like, it's the, the pastor's scripture reference for counseling. And if you pull it off the shelf and look up depression, every single Bible verse in there has to deal with uh, sin and forgiving sin. And it quotes Psalm 32 where it says, when I kept silent and had held my sin in, my bones wasted away, but then I asked for forgiveness and you eased my depression. But the problem is, is in this passage, Depression is not caused by sin, right? I mean, look at Elijah's life. He had done everything right. He was faithful, and yet he was still suffering. He still wanted to end his own life. You see, when we, can sin cause depression? Absolutely. But sin is not always the cause of our depression. So what do we see in this story, and what did I experience in my own life that led me to suffering in this way? One of the things that we see in this story is we struggle with depression when our output exceeds our input. After Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal, Ahab goes to eat and drink, and Elijah goes up on the mountain to freak out. He doesn't eat, he lays down on the ground, and then he runs 17 miles and beats a chariot. He wore himself out, and no wonder he was feeling depressed. We make ourselves susceptible to depression when we work way too many hours with too little food and too little sleep. My first couple years in youth ministry, when I was in my darkest place, I kept track of my hours, but I never actually totaled them up. Towards the end of my first year, I remember totaling up my hours, and on average, every single week, I was working way more than 70 hours a week on average. No wonder I was depressed. Man, when it comes to being a workaholic, that tends to often be the only sin in church that you're allowed to be proud of. Breaking the Sabbath, working too many hours, not having time for family, time for friends, not having time to spend it in prayer and devotions, and we brag about how long and how much we work, and yet we know that God created our bodies to need both work and rest. We can also struggle with depression after big failures. Elijah was running for his life because he had just gotten a death note. He had killed 450 prophets of Baal, and he thought that the revenge was coming. When I was in youth ministry, uh, every time I failed, I just assumed it meant I wasn't called. 
Every time something went wrong in my life, I would essentially just freak out. Every bad sermon, every situation of conflict, every single time things didn't go my way, I just would, uh, I just would question my call. If I had a good sermon, it meant that I was a good preacher and I was gifted and called. If I had a bad sermon, it meant that God couldn't use me anymore. And I began to realize that I was doing things wrong. Something began to change for me when I learned this little phrase, learn from my failures, understand my gifts for my successes, but put my identity in God. I had to stop assuming that every single failure in life meant that I wasn't called to be doing what I was doing. We can also struggle with depression after relational conflict. Here, uh, Elijah is in conflict with not only the king and the queen, but the prophets and really in some sense the entire nation. Sometimes when we're in conflict with family members or friends or people at work, man, that conflict, if we don't deal with it well, if we don't deal with it in a biblical way, we find ourselves being dragged down into depression. But here's the one we don't expect. We often struggle with depression after a big success. Elijah just had this like one of the most amazing miracles in all of scripture just happened and he assumed that after that everything would be okay and it wasn't. You see sometimes we fall into the trap and we think when I get fill in the blank I will be happy and I'll never have any more problems. If I just get this house, if I just get that job, if this person just likes me, if I just get that relationship, if I just get that promotion, if I just get this thing, we assume that we'll never struggle with sadness again. And oftentimes, one of the worst things that can happen is we get everything we want and we find out that we are still empty. My little sister Ellie spent most of her life um, becoming a, a, a ballerina. She started when she was young. By the time she could walk, she was doing plies and all kinds of things. And she spent so much of her elementary, middle school, and high school years in a great dance studio, going sometimes three or four nights a week. Then she went to college for ballet, and she worked as hard as she could. And she was always good, but she was never maybe the, the, the star of the show. And then her senior year came and her program director sat her down and said, hey, I want you to know that this is the year for you to be a star. You're going to be featured in all of our productions. This is the year where we need you to go out and it's time we think you're ready to start interviewing for actual national companies and auditioning and we think you have a shot at doing this as a career. You've become that good. And as she told me the story, she just listened, went back to her apartment and felt so empty. She'd always assumed if she got to the top, then it would be worth it. She always assumed if she, if she made it, if she arrived, then it would fill her up. And she sat in her, in her apartment on campus and felt empty. And actually, it was in that moment she realized, this isn't what I'm called to do. And she switched her majors, and she's had some uh, jobs dancing, but ultimately, God's led her to a different path. And it was through that feeling of emptiness, that feeling of brokenness, that God did something big in her soul. We also struggle with depression when God works outside of our box. Elijah yells at God and says, I've been very zealous. God, I have done everything right. He's not just critiquing the people here. He's also critiquing God. He's saying, I've done everything right. I've done what I was supposed to do. And God, nobody is responding. It's not working out the way I planned. Oftentimes, we think that if God calls us to do A, that he's going to make B, C, and D happen, and sometimes he takes us to X, Y, and Z, and we think that God hasn't held up his part of the bargain, and yet if we stop to think he told us to do A, he didn't promise B, C, and D. 
He might have promised X, Y, and Z. I really struggled in those early years of ministry when my life didn't look like one success after another. I remember we had this big Christmas event and we had 90 teens show up and I felt like I was the best youth pastor ever. That was big for our church at that time. And I felt like I was the greatest youth pastor ever. And then two weeks later, we had another outreach event for like, uh, and I was so excited about it. And I was like, man, I bet we're gonna get 120. We had three teens show up, three. And I remember thinking I was such a failure and such a loser. And then when those students graduated, the event they mentioned was the time that the three of them showed up and they got to hang out all day long with each other and do whatever they wanted. I think sometimes we expect God to work a certain way, but we go through these times of hardship, these times of frustration or even depression because there is a deeper work God needs to do in the valley that we won't receive on the mountaintop. We also struggle with depression when we focus on all the negatives. It's interesting to me that in Elijah's prayer here, he only mentions the negative things. If you look at this whole passage, he mentions how nobody's with me, God. They're worshiping the Baal. They're killing your prophets. He never mentions, he never praises God for the fire coming down and destroying the, and consuming the sacrifice. He never thanks God for rescuing his life so far from Ahab and Jezebel who have been trying to kill him for three years and God has rescued him every single time. He doesn't mention any of the good things. He only only focuses on the negatives. During one of my darkest times, I remember I was talking to one of my youth ministry mentors on the phone, and I was telling him, I don't know that God's really called me to ministry. I want to get out of this. I, I, I'm terrible at it. I'm not good at it. Everything's going wrong. And I, I told him, I think I'm just going to quit. And he said, okay, well, how sure are you that God wants you to quit ministry? And I said, oh, probably about 50-50. He goes, okay, when were you called to ministry? I said, as a teenager. And he said to me, when God called you as a teenager, what percentage were you sure that God called you into ministry? If I would have asked 16-year-old Ryan, how sure are you, what would you have said? I would say 100%. And then he said this phrase to me I never, ever forgot. He said, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. It totally was one of those things where I just, I had the phone, I almost fell over. So many times when you are in the valleys of life, you have to remember what God spoke to you on the mountaintop. I want you to know that no matter who you are, you can overcome depression. It's not easy and it's not automatic, but you have to allow God to minister you to you in the midst of your depression, just like God ministered to Elijah. And it's interesting to me that God starts ministering to Elijah physically. When God comes to Elijah, he doesn't say, Elijah, get up and read your Bible. Elijah, get up and pray more. He doesn't give the churchy answers. He doesn't say, Elijah, is there a hidden sin we need to find here so you can repent and feel better? He doesn't even say, Elijah, get up and listen to the new Hillsong album. There's a bridge where they drop the beat and like it's gonna just boom. You're gonna be up on two feet again, no problem, buddy. He comes to Elijah and says something very spiritual. He says, eat some food and take a nap. You see, in the midst of my depressions, what I needed oftentimes was simply to sleep more and eat more. I found myself skipping two or three meals a day. For those of you, I'm not telling you who, I know that we can have issues, unhealthy relationships with food. I'm not telling you next time you're depressed to eat a large pizza and a tub of ice cream. Um, although if that helps you and the Lord leads you that way, you know, blessings upon you and your house. But 
But what I am telling you is you cannot ignore the physical needs that God has created us to have. And when your friends are struggling with depression, sometimes the best thing you can do is say, hey, let's go out to eat and I'll just listen. Hey, dude, let's grab a cup of coffee. Hey, come over to my house. We'll watch a movie. We'll play some board games and we'll relax because God created us to be physical creatures. Man, God also begins to heal Elijah psychologically or, if you will, emotionally. I love here how God speaks to Elijah. He comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Think about that for a second. The God of the universe who just brought fire down and consumed a sacrifice that was dripping wet says, Elijah, uh, how'd you get here? I mean, does God really not know? Was God really surprised? Was he looking for Elijah and like, I can't find him. Oh, he's under that broom bush. My mistake. Elijah, tell me what's going on today. Absolutely not. God is simply there not to beat Elijah up, not to tell him he's not good enough. He's simply there to listen and to say, Elijah, what's going on in your life, man? When I was in my darkest depression, I had to go to a doctor. I had to go to a counselor. Because we're physical creatures, but we are also emotional creatures. And I went to a doctor, and my depression on a scale of 1 to 10 was so bad, he told me, I know you don't want to take medication, but you probably need to take medication, at least temporarily, because while you're at a 10, you can't deal with the depression. You need to get it down to 7. And so they put me on medication temporarily, and it really did help. And I started going to see a Christian counselor. And he helped me kind of understand some of these thought patterns that I'm talking to you about today, some of the unhealthy ways I was relating to God, some of the unhealthy ways I was relating to my job and the people around me. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that any of us, uh, anybody who says they're going through depression and they're only going to seek medication and not a counselor, not spiritual, not physical help, I would say you're only looking at, at one side of the problem. But man, sometimes in the church, we think if people use medication that, that it, it's wrong or somehow evil or awful. But man, if it, listen to your doctor. Sometimes that is very much a needed thing. And I don't know that I ever would have gotten out of depression without sitting down with a Christian counselor. But God also began to speak to Elijah spiritually. Elijah goes to uh, Mount Horeb, but it actually has another name. It's also called Mount Sinai. This is where God met with Moses and received the Ten Commandments. And in one famous uh, thing after the Ten Commandments, Moses says to God, I want to see you face to face. And God says, you can't, you'll die. But he says, what I will do is I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and then I'll pass by you. And that's exactly what happens. God hides Moses and God passes by and Elijah sees his back. And God, or God, or Moses sees God's back. And it's very interesting in this passage, it says Elijah goes into a cave, and that word cave can also be translated as clef. It is very, very likely that Elijah went to the exact same place where Moses met with God. For every single one of us in this room, there are times and places where you connect with God best. Don't neglect to make time for it. For me, sometimes it's walks in the evenings or getting up in the morning with my cup of coffee or going to a coffee shop um, and just sitting and reading scripture and reading books uh, about Jesus and just finding that time away to get recharged. So many times we only want to see God in the big miracles. 
We want to see God in the fire. We want to see God in the earthquake. We want to see God when we're in a room of 12,000 people. And God does work in that way, but he often also works through a still, small voice, through a whisper, through the breeze in the air, through, through just these gentle and small moments. I couldn't get out of depression until I started seeing God in the little everything day things of life. A couple days ago, I lost my keys and started praying that God would help me to find them, and they showed up in a spot that I had checked seven times. I was able, since moving into our house, to set up my wood shop, and my son Huck helped me make a screwdriver holder, and uh, just was really, really grateful for that moment. You see, if you don't learn to praise God to see him in the small moments, you'll misunderstand him in the big moments. So how do we get out of depression and help others? I want to teach you this acrostic that pretty much summarizes what I have been talking about today. It is called HALTS. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, and sad. Turn to the person next to you and say, HALTS. Oh, that was pretty good, but let's, we can do better. Online, you got to join us too. Turn to your neighbor and say, HALTS. Oh, there you go, much better. The next time you or somebody you know is struggling with depression, Depression often feels like a knotted shoelace. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. And if you try to pull on the knot itself, you usually end up doing nothing or just making it tighter. You actually have to pull on, as you know, one strand at a time. The H stands for hungry. When you're going through depression, ask yourself, man, am I, am I hungry? Have I eaten well recently? You may need to eat more or, or different food. You may have skipped meals, and fasting is important, and you should do that as a part of your spiritual life, but you shouldn't just skip meals because you're too busy. Then you look at, is there, am I angry? What's the cause of my anger? Is there a relationship, or do I need to work something out with somebody, or why does that certain thing make me so angry? Is there someone in my life I need to forgive? Then also look and see if you're lonely. That's one of the worst things about depression. The lie that Satan will put into your life is that you are all alone. And I love how this passage ends. Elijah says, God, I am all alone and there's no one left. And it's interesting to me that God says, you don't understand. I'm gonna give you Elisha, I'm going to give you this king named Hezael, and I'm going to put Jehu in your life. And by the way, there are 7,000 people, 7,000, who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. When you're going through depression, you need to realize you are not nearly as alone as you think you are. You can talk to your friends, you can talk to your family, you can talk to a Christian counselor, you can talk to one of our pastoral team, you by all means can talk to your life group, your life group leader. If you are in the journey, you can talk to the person that you are going through the journey with. You do not have to be alone. Tired. Man, sometimes you are depressed and what you really need is a break from work. What you really need is a nap or a beach day with your family. If you're stressed and sad, try to figure out what is the thing stressing me out and who can I ask for help? Or do I need to take a break from that thing? If you're sad, ask why are you sad? Man, I want you to know that every single one of us today can overcome depression. When you're in a dark time, I want you to be able to identify your needs. Are they spiritual? Are they emotional? Are they physical? Oftentimes, it's going to be two or more of those, if not all of them. When you know someone who's going through depression, I want you to go to them gently 
and help like God helps. Maybe your role isn't to try to counsel them or fix their problem. Maybe your job is just to take them out to a meal, invite them over to your house for dinner. And the important thing that we all need to realize today is in order to overcome depression, we can't reduce it to just one issue. It's not as simple as taking a pill. It's not even as simple as just going to see a Christian counselor. It's doing all the things that I mentioned here. It's getting right spiritually. It's getting, making sure that there are people in your life that you can talk to, that you can go through the hard times with. It's all of those things. It was about a two or three year journey in my life to get out of depression. When it came back in ministry, it was like I would have bad years and then I would have maybe a good day, a good week, or a good month. But now, man, after doing the things that I'm talking to you about today, it went from bad years down to bad months, and now I have bad weeks or bad days. And sometimes it's even becoming just bad hours. Because God continues to heal me from depression, and he can heal you too. And I'm going to have the, the band play and lead us in worship today, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your heart. I'm going to ask our Connections people that have volunteered to go ahead and stand up and go to the corners of the room. You're going to see these people with orange lanyards around the room, and as we worship together today, if you want prayer uh, because you're going through depression or because someone you know is going through depression, I want you to go to one of them and have them pray for you. They're here not to just show you where coffee is, not to just open the door, but to take you before the Lord and to pray with you. But if you're here today and you haven't made a decision to accept Christ, man, I want you to know that you can do that today. And if you're a cynical person, I get you. You're saying to me, well, Ryan, why should I accept Christ when God didn't help you with your depression, when God didn't cure you? And I get what you're saying, but I would honestly tell you that God has been my healer, that he may not have cured my depression instantly, but every single day, every single week, and the months and years of my journey with him, every single piece of healing I have received has been from God. And so today, man, wherever you're at, if you're struggling with depression or someone you know is, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. So go ahead and stand as we sing this next song. And then if you want prayer because you're going through depression or you want to make a decision to follow Christ for the first time, we have people in orange lanyards around the room on every side. Go to one of them. As we sing this song, let's worship God together as one who can help us overcome depression and bring healing into our life. I want to leave you today, I want to leave you today with the words of Christ from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, I pray today, Lord God, I just want to thank you that you can help us overcome depression. Lord, it's not always easy and it's not always automatic. Sometimes you cure miraculously, but sometimes, Lord, there is a deeper healing you want to do and that takes the valley, that takes the darkness for us to learn to see through your eyes, for us to follow your lead and not our own. 
And so God, for the people watching online today who were struggling with depression in such a deep way, they couldn't feel like they didn't even want to come and be seen and known. Lord, today would they be known by you and, and would they want, have that desire to be known by your community? Father God, help us not to buy into the lie that the depression can just be the cause by one thing, that it can just be cured by one thing. Lord, we are complex people because you created us that way. But Lord, I'm so thankful that your grace is just as complex. Lord, I'm so thankful that when we are in a dark hole, in the pit of despair, Lord, you jump down in it to show us the way out. And so God, would you bring rescue and hope into our lives today? May we leave here knowing, God, that those struggling with depression in our community, Lord, that we can be a light and a witness, that in the same way that you have comforted us, we can comfort others. And so, Father, would you release us today and not only bring us into a place of rest and peace and emotional health in your presence, but help us to extend that to those in need. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.